Coming up on Stew Does America, my good friend Andrew in New York has given me yet another reason to throw myself off the Verrazano Bridge and commit Cuomo-side. We'll get into that. And speaking of people the governor is trying to eliminate, we take a look at what's going on with Granny and Pop-Hop at the nursing home right now. It's not so pretty. Brand new week, brand new chance to subscribe to our free content wherever you consume it. Hit the bell uh, for new video reminders on YouTube and follow us on Facebook. Even you can listen to the show on your favorite podcast provider absolutely free. Be sure to take a minute to leave a rating and a review. I've been enjoying sharing them at the end of the program, except the mean ones or some of those. And of course, if you want the full package deal, get everything with Blaze Media. Consider a subscription to Blaze TV. We'll make it worth your while. Just head to blazetv.com slash stew. Make sure to use the promo code stew because that's how they know you like this stupid show. Plus, you'll save 30 bucks. The offer ends this week, though. So if you're interested, get on it. Like a CNN reporter, five seconds after a news hit, let's pull our masks off and get this party started. Stew does America. Let's start with a little good news today. It is possible, I swear. After our hammering of Andrew Cuomo last week, the public pressure finally started to build on him to rescind his horrific public health edict that forced nursing homes to accept COVID-19 positive patients. Who would have thought that didn't work out? It was shocking. But wouldn't you know it, guess what happened yesterday? Hospitals going forward cannot discharge a patient to a nursing home unless the patient tests negative for COVID-19. What? So we're just not going to send a person who is positive uh, to a nursing home after a hospital visit, Uh, period. Oh, you thought you could kind of like bury that on a Sunday we wouldn't notice? That's the exact reversal of the big controversial policy that you've had implemented this entire time and it's killed god only knows how many people so thanks for uh, turning that one around very timely andrew thank you for that our work is not done here however almost as important as fighting for the lives of the most vulnerable is trying to answer the everlasting question why do people like andrew cuomo cuomo kind of reminds me of the fake ted talk guy coming back to the center <laughs> and slowing my speech, lowering the volume of my voice by looking at you directly and by making a list on my fingers, I've made you believe there is a point. (laughs) He's not doing a good job. He's just implementing these sort of TED Talk tricks in these press conferences and making everybody think he's in control. Well, he's not, obviously. One of the keys of doing this is to not say anything of substance. Overwhelmingly, the people were at home, uh, where there's been a lot of speculation about this. A lot of people, again, had opinions. A lot of people have been uh, arguing uh, where they come from and where we should be focusing. But if you notice, 18% of the people came from nursing homes. Less than 1% came from jail or prison. 2% came from the homeless population. 2% from other congregate facilities. But 66% of the people were at home, uh, which is shocking to us. What does that even mean? I don't even understand that. Sounds as if he's saying that most of the cases since they came from home, 
maybe the lockdown wasn't a good idea, which that's kind of how it's been reported. But that's definitely not what he's saying, as witnessed by this incoherent ramble on Colbert. In a survey of 1,300 new COVID patients, 66% of them had been staying at home. Do we know why these people who are staying at home are still getting sick? Yeah, it's actually interesting, Stephen. The close down has worked so well, and what we feared didn't come true. The infection rate is now down to an increase among those people who stay home, meaning the close down is working. Huh? I don't even know what he's talking about. This whole thing is really confusing at this point. But as America's number one Cuomo to English translator, I think I can help. First, it's important to meet every claim from Andrew Cuomo with two pieces of knowledge. We know him as the Cuomo rules here. Number one, he's probably lying. Number two, he probably doesn't know what he's talking about. Which one is it this time? Let's start with the actual percentage itself. The media has reported this uh, as 66% of hospitalized patients are people who were staying home, or maybe 66% of transmissions leading to hospitalizations are coming from people staying at home. Does this show that the lockdown just doesn't work? Well, first of all, how did they get this information? They asked people who were hospitalized, uh, you know, and they came in. They said, hey, you know, what do you, how did this happen to you? There has to be some skepticism, I suppose, on a poll like this. I mean, you're really going to tell the government that you were breaking their little quarantine? Probably not. And mobility data seems to show this as well. While 84% of people fall into the stay-at-home category, mobility only shows about a 65% drop. So people are clearly still moving around a little bit, even if they're not supposed to. Secondly, even if it were true, it might not be all that shocking. If you're telling almost everyone to stay home, it wouldn't be all that surprising that most of the cases came from people who stayed home. That's where most of the people are. Obviously, if you avoid all human contact, you're less likely to get a virus. Just like if we set the speed limit to four, you're less likely to die in an accident. That does not make it a good policy. And just knowing a percentage is meaningless. Percentage of what? When we weren't in a lockdown, we were getting 3,200 new people in the hospital per day in New York. Now it's 600. It's an over 80, an 82% drop. So even if it was true, it's not all that notable. But here's the thing. Cuomo likes to sit there in front of all of his PowerPoint slides and act like he understands them because it makes him look smart, just like the fake TED Talk guy. I'll now walk over to my laptop. By doing so, I'm demonstrating to you that as a thought leader, I understand technology and that there will be slides because everybody knows that a presentation seems more legitimate than it actually is if there are slides. It's very true. Let's take a look at Cuomo's graphic or slide one more time. This is where he gets the idea that 66% of hospitalizations are coming from people staying at home. And it does say 66% and home on the same line. I will give him that. But look at the other categories. 18% nursing home, 4% assisted living facility, 2% congregate. What is a congregate? It's basically another type of nursing home, which I totally knew and did not have to look up. So if you were an essential employee who went to work on the subway and caught it there, where would you fall on that chart? I mean, the only possibility in the entire chart would be other. But then why would they go to the lengths to be so specific to break down multiple types of nursing homes, but not even give a category for work?
It's possible he's just not describing these charts well. I don't put it past him. But it does not appear that he actually understands what his own chart is saying. To prove this, look at the Cuomo flail later on as he tries to explain another number. Remember, he said already 66% of people are at home. Listen. Transportation method. We thought maybe they were taking public transportation. And we've taken special precautions on public transportation, but actually no, because these people were literally at home. Two uh, percent took car services, nine percent were driving their own vehicle. Only four percent were taking public transportation. Two percent were walking. Eighty-four uh, percent were at home, literally. Were they working? No. Uh, they were retired or they were unemployed. Only 17% working. Huh? So now it's not 66% at home, it's 84% at home and 17% working? We'll give him the break on the rounding error, even though that does add up to 101%. So what the hell is that original chart that he made such a big deal about? I don't even understand it. The title might give us some hint, source of admission. In medical lingo, that usually means the place that they came to the hospital from. But again, this would give no category for anyone who came in from work. Did zero people come into the hospital from work? Because that would be, I guess, a little shocking. Also, you know, let's say you picked up the virus at work and you got sick and then stayed home like you're supposed to. And then it got bad and you went to the hospital. How would you be categorized? Home? That makes no sense. And it certainly doesn't support what he's talking about. I don't think that's what this chart is at all, despite the title. At this point, I will say we're we're in speculation mode a little bit because it doesn't seem like anyone, including Cuomo, actually knows what he's talking about. But as hard as it is to believe, I think this highly publicized chart is simply referring to the living arrangements of those who are hospitalized. Like, does the person who came into the hospital reside in a private residence or a nursing home or in jail or in prison, etc.? If so, this is a truly meaningless number. The only reason you'd include it is to talk about the nursing home thing. And it wouldn't shock anyone at all. 66% is not that high. So why is Cuomo making a big deal about it? Let's consult the Cuomo rules. Maybe he just doesn't understand what he's talking about. I mean, that is at least part of it, I think, here. But it also may be partially an attempt to redirect us from the real scandal in New York. What is remarkable about his own chart is not that 16% of the population are are essential workers and they're causing 17% of hospitalizations. Considering all the factors, you know, that many of the most at-risk essential workers are not reporting to work anyway, and the possibility of more human contact if they do go to work, this seems like it maybe evens out and it's about where you expect it to be. And, you know, look, it's nothing to be shocked by the fact that 83% of the population who are non-essential workers or unemployed or retired but staying at home will be causing about maybe a third of all hospitalizations. That's probably lower than you think it would be. It's the fact that about 1% of the population who live in nursing homes are causing as much as half of the state's hospitalizations. We'll get into the specific numbers on this coming up, uh, but as we discovered and and covered in death uh, last week, Andrew Cuomo is a guy who gave the health department an edict which required nursing homes to import COVID patients and to prevent nursing homes from testing them to stop discrimination against COVID positive patients. He only rescinded part of that yesterday. It took all the way to yesterday. 
Yet this guy remains popular somehow among regular New Yorkers. And he's manipulated his own nursing home scandal into a way to blame the problems on those same regular New Yorkers. The infection rate is now down to an increase among those people who stay home, meaning the close down is working. We're down to a level now where it's pure personal behavior and whether or not you're wearing a mask and you're using sanitizer, because this is now people who are at home who are not working, not taking public transportation. That's the only area that we still see growth. And that's actually good news. Hmm. It's all about your personal behavior. And I mean, that is true if your name is Andrew Cuomo, but it's not true for everyone else. It wasn't the personal behavior of the 80 year old in a nursing home who died of COVID-19. But somehow the TED Talk magic tricks continue to work on the media. If you just look confident and show your fancy PowerPoint and, of course, be a Democrat, very important part of this, then you, too, can use these fabulous tips to make your TED Talk or press conference truly successful. The Andrew Cuomo way. Walk on stage, walk on stage, walk on stage, walk on stage. I am a thought leader. You know that I'm a thought leader because I'm wearing a blazer and I've just done this with my hands. I'm now going to come back to the center of the stage and give you some unremarkable context about how I became a thought leader. Let's look at a picture. Nice, isn't it? That's where we live. What happens if I put some words over it? Hmm. How about a number? I'm going to tell you an unremarkable story that's seemingly unrelated, (laughs) and it's funny. And you'll know it's funny, because I'm laughing, and you're laughing. And you'll ask yourselves, what does this have to do with his talk? What is the point? Well, coming back to the center, and slowing my speech, Lowering the volume of my voice. Graph, 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 pie chart, statistic. How about we end with a question, a very big question. What if everybody in this room decided to come together and agree with what I'm saying? Coming back to the center of the stage, standing ovation. Humble head nod, humble head nod, humble head nod. See someone I know, humble head nod. Video fades to black while the applause continues for an unrealistic amount of time. (laughs) There it is. It's Andrew Cuomo. Uh, All right, let's talk about, I don't know. I'll talk about how fat I'm getting. I don't have to bring you into this. People are about to uh, get really familiar with the idea of, of intermittent fasting, not because of food shortages, although that could be part of it. Uh, But because everyone who's put on 100 pounds in the last seven or eight weeks, that's me. Hi. Uh, At least the freshman 15 took a whole year. Uh, That's a different situation. I have found a solution, though. Fast Blast. One of the biggest problems of dieting is it takes too freaking long, doesn't it? I mean, eating foods I don't like all the time makes it possible for me to lose up to one pound a week. Both can be uh, difficult at times, fasting, dieting. But you actually get results fast with Fast Blast. 
Fasting increases your metabolism, making it easier to lose weight and keep it off, while traditional diets actually slow your metabolism. The Fast Blast, uh, Fast Blast smoothie makes it a lot easier and is uniquely formated, uh, formulated for intermittent fasting. They work really well to tide you over. The smoothies come in a convenient and easy-to-use squeezable pouch. No blender, no scales, no calorie or carb counting. And, uh, you know, look, I'm impatient. It's true. I hate diets that make you lose a half an ounce a month. Uh, when I'm in, I'm in. And uh, pounds come off fast for me and pretty much everybody when you use Fast Blast. We always tell you to do your own homework, so le uh, learn a lot more about it at uh, fastblast.com slash blaze. Fastblast.com slash blaze. And the slash blaze part is important because that's how they know you like this stupid show. Get started with Fast Blast today for a healthier, happier, and smaller you. It's fastblast.com slash blaze. Our next guest is a leading free market policy analyst and advocate in Washington, nationally syndicated columnist, and the head of American Commitment, a group dedicated to restoring and protecting free markets, economic growth, constitutionally limited government, property rights, and individual freedom. That's a big job. Phil Kirpin is here uh, on the program. Thanks so much for coming on, Phil. I appreciate it. Uh, my pleasure, and I like the uh, extensive introduction. <laughs> Everything you've ever done in one intro. Oh. Um, well, let me include one thing I didn't include there. You've been doing a lot of work uh, lately trying to get a handle on how much of this problem and this crisis that we're dealing with has to do with nursing homes and similar facilities. And what you found is, is truly staggering. Yeah, the numbers are big and they're getting bigger, especially in the last couple of weeks. We've seen more and more states that are reporting not just the majority, but in some cases a substantial majority of the fatalities uh, from coronavirus are now coming from nursing homes. And uh, at the same time, the number of cases and fatal cases most significantly in the general community has been in significant decline. And so we see results in some places. In some places, by the way, even, Stu, the numbers don't even make sense. Like Virginia frequently in the same day will report more nursing home fatalities than total fatalities. So their systems are mm. confused or something. Uh, but we're, we're now seeing uh, a place like Pennsylvania where the total number of deaths uh, now from nursing homes is several thousand, about 68 or 69 percent of all of the deaths in that state from COVID or from nursing homes. Uh, that's the highest of the really bad states. But some of the states uh, that haven't had that many deaths have been almost entirely in nursing homes. So, for instance, uh, New Hampshire's only got about 120 deaths, but about 90 of them are in nursing homes. Minnesota's only got about 500 deaths, but more than 400 of them are in nursing homes. And you really have to wonder, are these society-wide, economy-wide approaches where we try to lock down people who are at very low risk and tell them to stay in their homes uh, well-targeted, if at the same time we're doing that, we're failing to protect the people who we know are really at a very high risk. And I would say that uh, we're getting the worst of all worlds right now. We're imposing enormous costs, but we're not having much of an effect in terms of actually saving lives of the people who are most vulnerable. If anything, you look at what some of these governors like Cuomo, Murphy in New Jersey, and Wolf in Pennsylvania are doing, and they're basically uh, saying, they, they've said as a matter of policy in those states, you're required by law to accept coronavirus positive patients into a nursing home. You cannot refuse to accept them. And if they don't have the appropriate safety measures to isolate them in place, uh, you're actually starting outbreaks in some circumstances or worsening them. And uh, I think that's going to be the real scandal of this. I totally agree with you. We've been all over Cuomo on this as well. I mean, it's, it is in so several other states as well. I just have a there's something special 
about Andrew Cuomo in the middle of this for me for some reason. I... Well, he won't give us he won't give us real numbers. Yeah. You know, the, the thing about New York, you can't compare New York's numbers to any of these other states because every other state that reports and some don't report at all, including Michigan, which is outrageous because they're one of the worst hard hit states and they won't tell us about nursing home deaths. But mm-hmm. every other state that reports gives us the number of nursing home residents who have died. New York does something very different. They give us the number of nursing home residents who have died at the nursing home. So they've got a footnote at the bottom that says, if they die outside of the facility, they're not included in our numbers. So I I think when they say it's 5,000 some, they're probably giving us about half the real number because they're probably that many or more that got hospitalized prior to dying. And so the New York number, I think, is an extreme lowball. And we're probably going to see that it's a much higher number when they give us the hospitalized nursing home deaths, which they've refused to do so far. Yeah, this is a real, I I, I don't think anybody knows about this. And I, I, I think you're the first person who I saw pointed out that they are not categorizing these deaths the same way as every other state. And everyone knows they've had a massive problem in New York when it comes to nursing home deaths. And they have basically the lowest percentage in the entire country, country, which is completely absurd. And everyone knows it's absurd. Uh, Have they addressed this at all? Has anyone in a press conference asked them about this? You know, Stu, I don't watch every single day, so I don't want to say for sure that it hasn't happened. But I've watched a lot of these Cuomo daily pressers, and I have never seen him pressed on this question of why they're reporting the way they are instead of the way everyone else is. Uh, And for that matter, I haven't seen many people give the governor of Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer, much of a hard time about literally not reporting nursing home deaths at all in one of the hardest hit states. So I I really, you know, I think if we had accurate numbers and we knew what, what was really happening in New York and what was really happening in Michigan, it's possible that rather than being a third of all deaths in nursing homes, like New York Times and NPR are saying, or a half, which is where I have the estimate, it could be even it could be 60 percent. We don't know. We really need that data uh, to be able to understand how much of this entire thing is really the nursing home problem. And this is not this is not a huge surprise, right? We we came into this. One of the first things we knew about this uh, virus was it hit older people much harder and it hit people with pre-existing conditions much harder. Nursing home, a lot of times, is a combination of both of those things. So you know right off the bat that it was uh, among the most dangerous places. We're seeing this this pattern also uh, reflected throughout the world, too. It's not just the United States. Well, that's the other thing is we should have had the benefit of foresight in this circumstance. It's easy to say, oh, we didn't know that this was going to hit. But Europe had just had this exact thing happen. Every nursing home in Belgium basically got blitzed by this. Okay, France, the nursing homes got obliterated. Italy, I mean, this was... Uh, this was something we saw play out in front of our eyes. Every European country just about is at least 45% or higher. Some of them are in the high 50%, 56, 57%. And so this is not unique to the United States. This is happening everywhere in the West. And actually, this is one of the reasons uh, that Western countries are doing so much worse uh, with this than a lot of the other less developed countries, which is sort of counterintuitive to what a lot of people expected. But A lot of other countries don't warehouse their elderly and their sickest and frailest people the way we do in Europe and the United States. And that structure, that way that we sort of house people who are uh, sort of most vulnerable together in one place and sometimes not with the best protections and conditions has made our societies in Europe and the United States uniquely vulnerable to this. And and we we, we had what should have been the wake-up call. We should have seen what happened in Europe, and our whole strategy should have been focused around protecting these people. And instead, we did the opposite. We sent infected people into these nursing homes in order to keep the hospitals clear in anticipation of a wave of patients that in many places never came. At least in New York, you can say what Cuomo was doing was sort of grotesque, but maybe it was justified by the fact that the hospitals were full. 
In Philadelphia, they refused to allow nursing home patients who were positive to be admitted to hospitals when the hospitals were completely empty because they thought they were going to get an influx of patients that never materialized. That, to me, is even more outrageous. Mm, it's unbelievable. I know um, I've, I've seen uh, Bill de Blasio attempt some way out of this, and it feels like one of the directions they're trying to go. I, I've seen them, they, they're blaming people for not wearing masks and all these things, but they've also got on this road of like, well, nursing homes are for-profit institutions many times, and we have to check and see, we need an investigation to see uh, if, uh, if, if, if they were putting profit in, in, in front of their patients. Is there any indication that that is a, is a, is a widespread uh, problem? Well, I mean, it's actually a very tough business to be in. And, uh, you know, I actually do think that, you know, one of the things coming out of this we should look at is whether, you know, if, if we're going to continue to have the structure that we do, uh, maybe we do need to figure out how to get pay up a little bit, how to make it more remunerative. A lot of these people are on government programs. But I mean, New York has you know, the most generous Medicaid program in the country. Well, why should they have a problem with providers? It certainly isn't that they're spending enough. They also have the tightest regulations. They have, they have lots of regulatory oversight in these institutions. And so, you know, whatever you want to say about the structure, uh, it certainly isn't a lack of government involvement. I, I will say that one of the things that I think made this a lot worse than it had to be was the lockdowns, was the society-wide lockdowns, because when you do that, uh, you cause economic damage everywhere. And of course, we saw mass layoffs in the hospitals, which has been pretty widely reported. But one of the things that shocked me in the jobs report that just came out on Friday was there were almost as many jobs lost in the nursing homes, 113,000, as there were in the hospitals, 130,000. And so wow. the same time they were dealing with this in these nursing homes, uh, they were dealing with it. They were shedding staff because of the economic pressures that they were under the same as everyone else. Mm, that's that's fat. I did not even know that that, that uh, nursing home stat is amazing when they needed these people the most. They couldn't even keep them. Um, let me go to a more uh, wide uh, economy look here for a second. Uh, I live in Texas. Uh, you know, we can actually go out to dinner here. It's crazy. Um, I, I envy you. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's so funny. You, you just bring this I'm up. In my, I'm in my lockdown Skype T-shirt. I apologize, but I mean, it's uh, eight weeks of it here. I'm like, uh, you know. we. Are, I've given up completely on, on my appearance, so don't so don't worry about it. Um, it's it's interesting though. Like you know, now we just talk. It's like almost like those boring slideshows you used to give to your friends and everyone hated. Now they love it. Like you just go out to dinner and just like, look, I have a picture of me at a, a restaurant. It's amazing. Um, <laughs> but we've been out probably five or six times since this thing in the last couple of weeks and just because we're really open to it and excited to get back out there but that is not where everybody is i mean you know these places aren't overwhelmed with uh, people here even in texas um and you know we see these polls where 50 60 70 percent of people do not want to go out to these restaurants how long how long can this go on because the economy can't just hold up places that are running at, at half or quarter capacity for very long well, I think that the soft start is uh, sort of a mixed blessing, right, because you're not going to get big crushes and crowds of people uh, that are going to scare people and cause potential health scares and sort of restart panics and calls for lockdowns. That's the good part of it. The negative is exactly what you said. I mean, we're not going to really get that sharp recovery that we want, get that V-shape and get back to a booming economy if people are hesitant to go out. And, you know, unfortunately, uh, we did a very poor job of communicating the idea of stratified risk, the idea that for people who are at low risk, especially younger people, this is really not something you need to be worried about and change your life over. Mm -hmm. And I think if we'd done much better up front and not, you know, people got panicked when they saw what happened in Italy. The job of our leaders should have been to calm that panic, 
not to feed into it by closing everything and putting doomsday models out and all that kind of thing. And now we've got a hole to dig out of. And I, I, what I hope is that as people see that we're not having a catastrophe, that we're not having a disaster, that it's okay to get out there again, we see some states like Georgia and Texas doing well, then those mm-hmm. restrictions will sort of ease off and the rest of the country will follow along. Well, uh, you're in the middle of your answer. You did turn into the Skype logo, but I heard the rest of it, and ah. uh, it, it worked very, very well. Uh, Phil Kirpin, uh, nationally syndicated com- columnist from American Commitment. Uh, thanks so much for coming on the program. It's really interesting stuff, and I, there does seem to be a place that we can actually attack this as a country in a smart, measured way without getting everybody killed and still maintain the, you know, the freedoms that we have. Uh, I appreciate you walking, walking us through this. I think this is going to be one of the biggest scandals of this whole thing, Phil. I agree. Thanks right. for having me. Okay, Phil, thanks again. Uh, sorry. Thanks again, Mr. Skype logo. Uh, we'll be back here <laughs> in just a second. Elon Musk is an interesting guy. I mean, here's a guy who's known for fighting global warming through electric cars and solar panels. And he's been one of the most outspoken people about opening the economy and saying, look, we got to free Americans uh, to do work. He uh, went on Joe Rogan uh, recently and talked about that uh, preference. He was tweeting things like uh, free America now. Uh, He eventually uh, this weekend talked about the fact that he was going to take his factory out of California and move it to Texas or Nevada because he was sick of all the regulations and and all of these uh, clampdowns on his business and the ability to operate. Well, he's uh, just up the ante this afternoon. Here is uh, his latest tweet. From Elon Musk says, uh, Tesla is starting production today against Alameda County rules. I will be on the line with everyone else. If anyone is arrested, I ask only that it be me. He's going to just start it up and see if they decide they dare to come arrest him. Uh, Look, uh, he's taking a pretty brave stance here. And there's a big part of me that just loves it. You know, I mean, I just like the fact that someone's saying, you know what, we're going to we're going to open up our business. Um, you know, sometimes we've seen some of the stuff that's gone on here in Texas where people have opened up businesses before the deadlines and only a few days ahead of, of, of when things were going to open up anyway. And you question whether that's I mean, you know, look, California could be months. It could be June or July before they open anything up there. Uh, he's taken a step. And I, I think he's you know, he's the type of guy that will just just to call it a loss, call the entire factory a loss in California and move it somewhere else. I will say that if he decides to move to Texas, I'm sure he knows this, but uh, you should be aware that you can't even really buy a Tesla in Texas. It's one of the very strange uh, remnants of the protectionist economy that sort of still exists here. It was certainly here with uh, air, air, airplanes back in the day and, uh, and uh, airline companies. Um, it still kind of exists here with car dealerships and Tesla, where Tesla cannot have really a dealership the way they want to do it here um, because of a bunch of old time interests. Um, I bet that goes away if he decides to build a giant factory in Texas. And it should go away anyway. It's completely inconsistent with what Texas typically stands for. You know, this is a place where we're, you know, where we're free here. And uh, look, I think Elon Musk and his giant car factory are welcome here. Hopefully that actually does happen because California needs to be held, you know, given a lesson. If they continue to, to do these things to businesses, these businesses are going to leave. And the people who work for them are going to leave, too. Just when you come here, everybody. Don't vote like you did in California. Back in a second.
Happy to welcome back to the program Josh Hammer. He's an opinion editor for Newsweek. Pretty fancy title there of counsel with First Liberty Institute. And now the real highlight of his resume, <laughs> official Blaze TV contributor. Josh, uh, thanks for having uh, coming back on the program. Uh, it's a little for me, a little too early for a celebratory hug, but we'll, we'll do that a little bit later, if that's okay with you. Sounds good to me, Stu. You know, the Blaze TV contributor, that's the only title that I care about for these purposes. There so you go. <laughs> let's lead with that for now on. Sounds good. Um, I, I want to talk to you about, well, first of all, you're a new, a relatively new Texas resident. What, a couple of years now, right? Uh, well, you were in Houston before, right? In Dallas for two, two and a half yeah. years, Houston before that, but overall probably about four years. So. You're from the Northeast like me, yes, though. Yes, of course. Um, it's interesting to kind of see something like this go on and see Texas's approach to it, which is different. All my friends up north in the Northeast are very jealous of us being able to like walk outside. Have you have you gone out and been out and about? Have you taken advantage of the Texas freedoms yet? I've been out to dinner multiple times. Yeah. I actually <laughs> went out to a rooftop bar once, wow. which was kind of crazy. Mm -hmm. I got a haircut finally yesterday, which is the most <laughs> exciting thing of all. I don't look like a freaking bum anymore. Um, the haircut was actually a pretty surreal experience, though. I go into the barber. It's not my normal barber. My normal barber is still closed. So I go into this new barber. I have to wear a mask. So I walk in with the mask. The very first thing they do is take my temperature. And then the mask, mm. interestingly, the mask stays on for the haircut. So I'm wearing this mask, and then when they kind of get to the sideburns over here, I need to, like, take the mask off the ear and hold it in place with my left hand. Wow. So it was a very bizarre experience. So even in, like, the restaurants, they keep, the, the paper menus are there, not the yeah. real menus. Mm -hmm. So you're constantly reminded that you're not in a normal setting. But I have gone out, and like you, Stu, as a Northeast transplant to Texas, I am just, I feel blessed to live here. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting because it is, I do, I feel the same way. And everyone's jealous of me, which is kind of fun. Um, on the other side of it, it, it is it's not as enjoyable as it was. Right. Like it, it doesn't feel you don't I don't feel relaxed at, <laughs> going out right now. It feels tense. You yeah. know, you're talking to a waiter who's in a mask. You're, all these very strange things. It's a strange, strange thing. I, I don't know how a, a business that operates at a three percent profit margin in good times is going to get through not only having to deal with all these these oddities to, to serve their customers, but then also the fact that, you know, polls show 50, 60, 70 percent of people, even if they have the freedom, don't want to utilize it. It's going to be a tough recovery for the economy. Yeah. So we were talking about this on, on Sarah Gonzalez's show earlier today. So I guess the early numbers at Georgia, which is now like two weeks or so into mm -hmm. their kind of recovery or reopening, I should say. I guess the caseload there anecdotally has dropped. And I was kind of speculating why. And my basic thesis is that people are not stupid, okay? Yeah. Like, like, contrary to what a lot of the left likes to think, mm -hmm. we're not idiots. So the governor or mayor or any kind of politician or elected official basically just saying, you can go live your life, that doesn't mean we're going to start crowding up basketball arenas tomorrow. There's going to be mm -hmm. no NBA games. We're not going to go swim together in a water park, for God's sake. I mean, people are gonna, they're still going to take precautions, okay? Yeah. They're going to sanitize their hands. A lot of people are going to keep the masks on. So you know, look, I, it's great that our politicians are deigning to give us the freedoms that our Constitution secures, yes. but <laughs> common sense is still a thing. It is, kind of. Uh, it's true. I like that. And it's true. I think that's the way it works. If, if we go out there and we're smart, then we're not going to have to deal with another one of these things, which is I really can't take it again. So I don't want that to happen. I will say there's been some interesting weirdness around uh, the lockdown and the policies associated with it. Um, I have a friend of a friend who had a job. Before this coronavirus happens, instant furlough. So they have, you know, they're they're laid off, and now the place is opening, but they didn't really like the job all that much anyway. And pretty much the government is making it clear if you're if you're quote unquote scared of coronavirus, you don't have to go back to work. Right. So, and I should add this in, he happens to be making more money from unemployment than he was at the actual job. <laughs> 
So, and I can't imagine, I, I know the one person on earth where this, that this is happening to. It has to be a situation that's going to be repeated around the country. And people are going to be making cost-benefit analysis of their situation and say, you know what? I'm really scared. I'm going to stay home. And it's going to be really difficult to, to recover. And adding on one more thing to that, this unemployment, uh, which is, you know, obviously typically limited for time, there's no way they're going to throw anybody off of unemployment, at least until November, because there's no politician that's going to step in and say, OK, we're throwing all these coronavirus victims off of unemployment. This is going to be a very difficult thing, I think, to unwind. So that's a very good point, I think. I mean, and this this kind of proved to be the case during the 0809 financial crash turned in, into recession as well. Right. I mean, unemployment benefits at the time, conservatives were very critical of the Obama administration for extending unemployment benefits for way too long. The, the standard conservative criticism at the time was that keeping people on the public dole for that long actually exacerbated and prolonged the recession and made the recovery that much slower. So it'd be interesting to see if people remain intellectually consistent the same way. But, you know, I, I've got all these bills confused. I literally can't keep track of like phase one, phase two, phase three. But in what it might have been the CARES Act. It was one of the, the massive bills, I think, in late March. There were some Republican senators, I, I think it was Senator Sass, maybe Senator Toomey, if I recall, that at the maybe Lindsey Graham actually it was, at the last minute objected that they that we were kind of perversely incentivizing unemployment. It was right there in the federal bill. And that argument did not win over. The Wall Street Journal editorial board kind of defended those senators at the time, I thought rightfully so. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, look, I was an economics major in college. This is kind of economics 101. People respond to incentives. Uh, human beings oftentimes are rational creatures, and you don't want to perversely incentivize people to stay on the public unemployment dole as opposed to returning to work. That's like the last thing that any policymaker should ever want to do. Yes. Um, let's, uh, I want to do one more here, but, uh, and then I want to do a little terror, uh, do a little of the terror read talk as well. Cause we haven't even talked about that today, but, um, when it comes to, let's just say we're kind of all in this mode where it looks like we're kind of improving. We think we're going to be able to get this under control. There could be flare ups here and there, but we're going to try to keep those, uh, you know, uh, tamped down if at all possible. Let's just say the worst happens. Though. Let's say we do have this big second wave of coronavirus that we're all hoping we don't have. And let's say it happens around election time. If things are really bad around election time, what what does the Constitution say about these things actually occurring? Is there anything in the Federalist Papers that would point us in the right direction? What are we what are we going to do? So it's a great question. Uh, there really is no historical precedent for this. I mean, I, I, I can talk about, look, I mean, we had an election in 1864 while the Civil War was going on. Uh, Abraham Lincoln beat George McClellan uh, in 1944, obviously, uh, while we were in the midst of World War II. Uh, we, we were engaged, uh, obviously, in both theaters, in the Pacific and the European mm-hmm. theater. We had, a, we had an election that October, uh, sorry, November. So there's really never been an instance where we, where we just didn't abide by the Constitution, didn't have an election. So there will be an election, okay? If passes prologue, and I believe it is here, there will be an election. What that election looks like if this thing actually comes roaring back is anyone's guess. I mean, we're talking probably drastically diminished turnout. A lot of states, especially left-leaning states, will start to get mass uh, vote-by-mail mm-hmm. type things. Um, but there's all sorts of fraud problems there. We've seen the videos out of California with voter harvesting. So there's going to be a ton of litigation in that respect. Uh, it's, if, you're, if you're kind of like a voting ID type attorney on either right. the left or the right, it's probably going to be a field day for you. <laughs> yeah. uh, but the election will go on one way or another. Uh, one of the things they've talked about with the actual Congress people, they, they, they don't, they're not coming back to vote, right? They, they continue to stay at home because of all the dangers of coronavirus. I know that it's seemingly like that it may not be allowed for, uh, for them to pass a bill. I've heard arguments that it's unconstitutional for them to vote remotely. Uh, they have to actually go to Washington. Is that accurate? Uh, could they theoretically pass a bill that says, hey, we should be able to vote from our own district here? So the requirement is that you need a quorum of senators. Um, The the Constitution and I believe both Senate and House internal procedure, Mm -hmm. not the same thing, obviously, 
I don't think they ever specify how quorum is defined. Um, so you probably could interpret that or opt to interpret that as, uh, as a virtual quorum being sufficient. Uh, again, we're in uncharted waters here. It makes, for, <laughs> it, it makes for legally interesting territory, but I don't think there's anything that actually does prohibit taking that interpretation. And, and it frankly does not strike me as, as an unreasonable interpretation either. Uh, I think, you know, obviously there was no such, no such technology at the time of the founding, but if they're there, they're voting, it, it would seem to make sense to me. Yeah, okay. Um, let me go over to Tara Reid for a second. Uh, she, I understand the politics of this. I don't want Joe Biden to be president. I also don't want to convict Joe Biden of sexual assault because I want him to lose. That's not a good human standard of mine. Um, so I don't, how do you handle this? Because they've set up on the media a ridiculous standard with Brett Kavanaugh. We know that. Yes. I don't want to be them, though. I, I, don't, I don't like them. I didn't like them then. I don't, I don't want to be them now. Um, I kind of fall back on the idea that if you're going to have something where you don't have physical evidence, you don't have anything really, you know, it's 30 years ago. You have to go to a pretty high standard of saying, look, you're innocent until you're proven guilty. At least as low. I know it's not a legal proceeding, but as close as we can get to that in our own minds. Is that the right way to think of this or should we just be applying their standard to them? It's a great question. Um, <laughs> I, I am a longtime advocate of intellectual consistency. Um, if you take a principle, unless something overly dramatic, like civilization altering has changed, you probably should try to stick with that all else equal. Now, the left does not do a very good job of this, obviously. I mean, they were, to, to put it mildly, they were, they were believe all women a year and a half ago, and the, the goalpost shifting has just been, like, otherworldly at this point. I believe all women has become listen to them and respectfully come to your own conclusions. It's become our opinion, right? Yeah, we just exactly. like listen to them and respect that, that they're coming forward. Right. However, still be, you know, still criticize them when they're lying. And it's comical. It's, com it's, 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 comical. it's utterly farcical. But at the time of the Brett Kavanaugh stuff, a lot of people on the left were saying, oh, this is just a job interview. So someone, yes. <laughs> right? So someone, someone even yeah. coming forward can just disqualify you. And, you know, I couldn't publicly say this at the time. I was clerking for a federal judge, so I was kind of on mute. But I remember privately saying to friends at the time, this is not a job interview. What's going on this time is three to 4,000 years of civilizational norms. To your point, Stu, I, this whole innocent until proven guilty thing is not just a modern manifestation of the English common law that was adopted into our American constitutional order. This is a norm going back to like the Mesopotamians, the Babylonians, <laughs> uh, the ancient Israelites. I mean, like this has a pretty lengthy civilizational <laughs> pedigree. So we should probably try to do that. Yeah, I feel like, and we should maybe just do it in our own lives, not as well as also the the public life. Yeah, it's you know it's interesting. We're gonna get, we by the way have uh, Megan Kelly on uh, the radio show tomorrow. I'm gonna talk to her about her interview uh, with Tara Reid. That should be an, an interesting thing. I, but it's just a tough thing. It's a tough thing to hold hold people to these standards, and I don't I, I don't want them applied all over the place. I feel like we should probably not apply them even in cases where we think it benefits us. It's what they do, and I don't want to be them. All right, we got to go. Josh Hammer, opinion editor for Newsweek. Actually, let me say, Blaze TV contributor, also opinion editor for Newsweek. Uh, don't miss uh, your opportunity to watch uh, Josh as he appears on this show, News and Why It Matters, and others uh, on this program. Uh, the best way is to do that with a Blaze TV subscription. Visit blazetv.com slash stew and enter the promo code stew. Hey, because that's how they know you like this stupid show. Plus, it'll knock 30 bucks off the price. It's only for a limited time. We'll be back in a second. If you're a good person, you'll review this show and give it five stars. If you're not, you'll do something else. Uh, here are some reviews from the uh, iTunes uh, charts. Here we go. Uh, Johnny says, uh, I love this effing show. Stu has great hair. First of all, don't lie in reviews. Uh, it's federally prosecutable. Also, watch your language. But five freaking stars. Nice work. Uh, DJ says, it's good to laugh at the end of the day after the downer news all day. Thank you. Five freaking stars. Thank you. 
Uh, Sarah says, Stu is hilarious and informative. Totally agree with you, Sarah. Love the show. Stu gives information in a way that makes you feel like you're getting the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Five freaking stars. Nice work. Uh, Allie says, conserva nerds. <laughs> conserva nerds unite, everybody. Love the show. We need a conserva nerd t-shirt. Ooh, I like that idea. Five freaking stars. And smile, cough, cough. The king of sarcastic commentary. Love this guy. Slanted view and all. Five freaking stars. Do the same. We'll see you tomorrow.